You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, welcome everybody to At Home, the podcast. Season 2, episode 16. We continue on in our discussion around the important topic of discipleship. And uh, today, because we've kicked everybody else out of this office this week, uh, and really the lowest common denominator is, of course, our youth ministry department. So Tyler and Dustin are in with me. They're like New York rats. The New- <laughs> Just popping up from the sewer. Uh, no, that's terrible. No. Uh, the reason uh, I want to have this discussion with them today is uh, as we talk about discipleship, we've, uh, in the previous conversations, have discussed you know adult discipleship things and we've talked about family ministry and discipleship and also as a bigger part of that we have to talk about youth adolescence discipleship what's working maybe what's not and uh what what the what the world what in the world is going on out there so we're just going to uh we're just going to dive in today and uh I thought it would the format I would I'd spice the format up a little bit. So what you, what listener, what you need to know is this. I have prepared um, uh, some readings from uh, my youth ministry library, uh, a few books that I have picked up that uh, I've had in the, in the rotation that I go back to that I look. Some are more well-known than others, but uh, they're written by what we could say would be some yeah, some well-known, uh, well-known voices in in U.S. if not international uh, youth ministry. So what I'm going to do is I've pulled together some quotes. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to chop it up. I'm going to I'm going to ask you if you guys agree with the statements, uh, disagree, or have maybe a nuanced response to them. Sounds good. Okay, sounds good. Okay, and these are all on the to- they're kind of on the topic of youth ministry discipleship. Uh, some of the and then some of the uh, the challenges that we uh, that we face. Okay, so and, and I should say for anyone listening, if you're like I am not into youth ministry, this is not this is these are not youth ministry specific questions in regard to like uh, like how to do youth ministry or things like that, but like observations about discipling young people, which uh, is a question. And a concern that all of us, uh, regardless of our age, should be uh, should be invested in. Would you agree with that statement, gentlemen? I would. Yes. Good. So, again, Tyler, Dustin, thanks for being here, for putting yourself in this really precarious position of me uh, asking you or at, make, making statements. Uh, Tyler did ask earlier if he could get fired for any of his responses, and initially I said no, uh, but I thought that was a I don't want to write a, a blank check here. Like, so maybe if he says, if he says something, too bad you already did. Is that okay? Well, all right, we'll see. Uh, so here, here's the first. Here's the first one. So the first thing that I'm reading here is from the uh, the landmark book, Almost Christian, by author Kenda Kiersey Dean. I always have Kenda's name. I always have to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, yeah, the title of the book is Almost Christian, What the Faith of Our Teenagers is Telling the American Church. So this is a specific focus, again, on the uh, the American church. And I gotta, I'm got i looking here. This 
this book hit. Uh, this is an older. Yes, yeah, so this book has been out for over for over a decade, and yet some things here that are shared here are pretty uh, are still are still uh, I think speak to where we're at. So I'm going to read this, and then I want you guys to dive in. Tell me what you think. So here we go. Youth ministry is the de facto research and development branch of American Christianity, which is why attending to the faith of adolescents may help them reclaim Christian identity for the rest of us as well. So again, we just made the point earlier, hey, this is not just about youth men. Youth men is a everyone ministry uh, concern because what we're talking to about our young people is what we eventually talk to about our older people, so on and so forth. So this is a discussion to reclaim Christian identity for the rest of us as well. Okay. For that reason, this book focuses on Christian adults and congregations as well as on teenagers themselves. Uh, we are the ones charged with handing on the good news of Jesus Christ to the teenagers on our watch, but the reports from the front are not encouraging. We have successfully convinced teenagers that religious participation is important for moral formation and for making nice people, which may explain why American adolescents uh, harbor no ill will toward religion. Many of them say that they would bring their own children to church in the future, which they say in a parathetical statement is a dubious prediction statistically. So they, they say they'll bring their their children in the future. Eh, we're not so sure about that. The, the numbers maybe don't play on that. Uh, yet these young people possess no real commitment to or excitement about religious faith. Teenagers tend to approach religious participation like music and sports as an extracurricular activity, a good, well-rounded thing to do, but unnecessary for an integrated life. Religion the young people um, in the National Study of Youth and Religion, which we've talked about this on a previous episode. This was the big watershed study of, of the religious practices of young people back in 2000 and 2003 to 2005. They did this study, and it kind of got the ball rolling on all of this study around uh, youth and the participation in church and all of this. So that's the, the study that they're referring to. Uh, so religion, the... Uh, uh, the young people in the National Study of Youth and Religion concurred, is a very nice thing, quote, a very nice thing. What we have been less able to convey to young people is faith. In desire to love others in Christ's name, which results in a church oriented toward bearing God's self-giving love to others, embodied in a gospel-shaped way of life, love gives Christianity its purpose and its meaning. Religion functions as an organized expression of belief, but faith, to quote the theologian uh, Douglas John Hall, is a dialogue with doubt, a personal reckoning with God's involvement in the world and investment in their own lives. Hall reminds us that one of the great themes in the 20th century theology was, uh, um, was chronicling Christianity's fall from faith to religion. So became less of a faith-based understanding, but more of an organized or like an organizational understanding. Um, let's see here. Yet Christianity has always been more of a trust walk than a belief system. In Christian tradition, faith depends on who we follow, and that depends on who we love. Believing in a person, having utter confidence in someone, creates a very different set of expectations than believing in beliefs. For Christians, faith means cleaving to the person, the God-man of Jesus Christ, joining a pilgrim journey with others and following him into the world. Um, and then the, basically they, they go on to say, um, 
some other things about just the nature of understanding Christianity. But here's the here's the question, guys. Um, the big statement that Christian formation or Christian faith when it comes to young people is viewed as another kind of another offering in their day, offering in their calendar, offering their day, the same way they will look at extracurricular activities, sports, uh, other organizations, things like that. Um, The conversation also is included in here that the reason that they see it that way is that is the example that is set to them by their parents uh, as well. And so they're they're kind of following this framework and this understanding. So when it comes to developing faith and what we would say is an authentic relational discipleship, a, a, an obedience, a, a submitting one's life, turning one's life over to Christ to transform it versus a religion where we go about certain practices and engage in certain uh, things and see it as a, as a nice thing that helps make us be good people. What do we, what do we do about that specifically when it comes to, because we've been talking about discipleship and the family's involvement. How do we speak to that in terms of helping families understand that and then getting uh, families uh, on the same page and then on the playing field of discipleship to help uh, address that concern. Uh, Dustin, I'll begin with you. Go. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I and I. if I'm going off track or I'm not saying what is. Again, you're not going to lose your job. Okay, Both. well, you that's, just, that's good. Open, open mic. No, it was just, it was a lot there. So, it was a lot there, I'll, yes. uh, I guess the first thing that came to my mind as you were talking was we, with our high school students, uh, Recently, we went through a thing on Sunday morning where we were talking about um, kind of just remaining remaining in the faith and what that looks like as a high schooler going into college. There's a percentage, and it's fluctuated a little bit, um, you know, over over recent years, but a, a fairly large percentage, sixty to seventy percent of high school kids that have that said that they were active in their high school youth group once they get to college are no longer active in a church or don't claim to have a faith at all. And so trying to understand kind of the why behind that. And it, it really just gets to the question kind of for me is, well, what's what's going on? And I guess the thing that's it's tough is trying to help students understand the why. You know, that this shouldn't be a thing that is competing for your attention. This should mm-hmm. be ultimately the thing that, that that has your attention and everything else kind of comes out of that. So it's it's – I mean, it's a quote I heard a long time ago, but it's one that's just always stuck with me, especially thinking about like our students. But Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of your life; He wants to be the point of your life. Kind of mm-hmm. a thing that I've I've hung on to, and that's meant a lot to me. And I've I've shared that with our students quite a bit. But I think once they get this understanding that they this isn't just a you know we don't want this just to be a, you know another extracurricular activity. We want them to see the need, you know, the need not just for church, but the need for a savior. And if if a person, whether it's a student or an adult, doesn't sense the need for a savior in their life, they don't recognize the sin, then they'll never understand the need for a savior. And that's, it's hard because in youth ministry, especially that's becoming increasingly, which 
is a little ironic, but it's becoming increasingly harder to talk about issues like sin when it shouldn't be. I mean, that should yeah. be, I mean, where it starts. And it's not a, it's not a condemnation thing. It's just a recognition thing of like, this is where we all are. This is how we all start. We all are there. I mean, we're all sinners and fall short of God's glory. But I mean, there is a, it just a, a veil that is lifted even in students. And you see it when they are hit with the reality that, wow, no, I, this is my life. And this is where I'm going with, without a savior in, in Jesus. And I, I need him in my life. And he just can't be something that is a part, maybe like on a Wednesday night, once a week, if, if he's going to be this big of a deal in my life, then I've, I've got to like, I've got to commit to this. This is a big deal. I mean, we look at the, the call of the original disciples and we just kind of read that as, oh, it's kind of a cool story. I mean, those guys, they left everything. I mean, mm-hmm. everything, family, careers, everything. And that was a, that was a big deal for them. This is a serious call on anybody's life. I mean, and I think as adults, we, we, we're not giving that as much value. And so when, when students or kids see that it's not getting as much value as to them, then, then why are they going to put as much value on it as well? So it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard balance, you know, right now that we're, that we're facing. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, the, the comment here uh, in this, uh, this section, um, something that was written was, you know, students, our, our adolescents harbor no intentional ill will toward religion. So there it's not the so there is not a sense which which I think is is helpful to say there's not a sense of that they are anti-religious or right. anti-spiritual. Right. Um so there's an opening there and an opportunity there. The the concern becomes where somehow it's been passed on to them or there's this under there's this understanding that it's that it's just that participation in faith community is just a one more mechanism by which they are made into a nice person. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where does that, where does that come from? Uh, in your mind, where does that perspective come from? Number two, um, how, how do we, how do we, as, as people working with young people, cause, cause quite honestly, this is not a youth specific problem, right? Um, I am, I am deeply concerned about the cult of nice, you know, right. um, in our, in our, uh, in our faith community. So what, uh, what, so, what do so you I'll think? Say, so I'll say these things and think about like what they make you think of when you hear them. You hear, I hear these kinds of things from parents. Like I want my kid to do this thing so that he will learn good work ethic. I want my kid to do this so that he will be a better person. I want my kid to do this so that she will make friends. Like all of those things I hear all the time about things like sports, choir, band. And then on top of that, it even extends into this is the kind of thing that I hear parents want out of their child's experience in a youth group. Mm-hmm. They see it and they like their desire for that is they can drop them off like they would at a baseball game and say, oh, my kid is just going to learn how to be a better person because of this experience. And it's not that we don't want kids to, like, be good people. Like, I don't want a bunch of Christian kids going out there and, you know, slapping their friends across the face. Right. like that, you know. But I think when it comes down to this question of, like, we have a – or I guess the the thought that we have a bunch of kids growing up who are not anti-religion and yet – it's kind of like we see a lot of kids 
leaving the church and we try to look at why, well, it's because like we are consumed by the things that we consume. Mm-hmm. And when we are telling kids that, oh, church and youth group, it's another thing to add to the schedule, like to make sure that we're just being bettered as people, that we're learning how to be better people. Well, I mean, how many kids do you know that like grow up and even if they don't go play that sport at college level, they're constantly trying to take in that sport. They're trying to watch it. And then eventually down the road, they, they have kids and they're trying to get those kids into that sport. Like it's just this consumption of like, well, what are we truly valuing Mm-hmm. in our kids' development, and how are we prioritizing those things? Is it because we just want them to be better people, or is it because we understand there's a value greater than just raising morally right people? Yeah, yeah, and this is this is why, I mean, we've, I think, briefly mentioned it last time we had a discussion together, but the National Study of Youth and Religion, when it came out in 2000, well, 2005, or the the period of study was over was from 2003 to 2005. So we're coming up on a while ago. Um, you know, the results were basically that uh, that all these kids, regardless of the faith tradition they came from, so it could be very like like Bible churches, community churches, like very, like core evangelical churches, or it could be mainline Protestant or Mormon or whatever the case might be, other than even other religions, the the scandalous fact was that they all had a very similar, like a central belief system that they all they all kind of thought to believe the same thing. And a big part of that was it was tagged moralistic therapeutic deism that that somehow they got the message. And and I have to and, and this is what I'm gonna take a dangerous next turn after I after I say this, but somehow they got the message that on the moralistic side that that the whole point of their faith was to be a good person. Like God wants me to be a good, like it's, it's high morals. And so the, that the ultimate goal was to be morally formed to which I reply, you can be morally formed into a quote unquote good person by plenty of other things mm-hmm. other than church. Sure. Right. Now, I think some could argue like, okay, maybe not in the same way or not to the same extent or whatever the case is. But if you're just trying to raise like a good, like a good aware citizen, um, there's other other clubs, other organizations, things like that that can do that. If if it's just because we feel more comfortable with the church is that moral formation organization because they've got kind of some Jesus sprinkled in there, and we know that that's like, right. you know, that's going to maybe. Uh, give a better chance of it, of it, you know, being, you know, that that's great. Um, but we've said it here. The goal is discipleship, not forming of morally good people. And, and, and that to me, because like the, the moral formation part of just, of just, and again, I'm not against moral formation. And I think authentic discipleship does do moral formation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it, but that's not the end goal. The goal is, is therefore go into all the world making disciples, mm-hmm. teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You know, right. it is it is not just a I've walked out of this this moral machine as a better moral person, but that I'm a sent person. We have to stop approaching discipleship as raising followers through moral goodness of that love, joy, peace, patience, mm-hmm. like the idea behind, they're literally called the fruits of the spirit. What comes before the fruits? It's the roots, the tree, the leaves, yeah. all that stuff comes first. 
and out of that is supposed to become this morality. And I think we want to see that morality right away. And so we say, this is what you need to do in order to be a follower. Whereas Jesus says, to be a follower, you have to follow me and you will see these yeah. as products of yep. that. We shouldn't be looking and saying that this is the standard. You have to meet that because there's a lot of ways that kids are going to try and meet that. They understand that more so like now than I think ever. And they are seeing ways that, oh, I can be loving. I can be joyful without that stuff because I got there before even having a faith with Jesus. Right, right. I think it's interesting too, a little bit that I, you know, to a lot of people, religion is is offensive. And mm-hmm. I, I think that there can be a lot to say. I mean, what you said, this was written like 10 two yeah. years ago. So that it's almost can even start seeing it back then. But I think people are so afraid of what others think and especially i mean this is one that probably does specifically well not just students but a big insecurity is what others think of them and so (laughs) instead of pursuing a where they're going to be broadcasting that they are a part of a church or a youth group or religion or whatever because that can come across as they would rather be referred to as something because nice really isn't that offensive i mean so (laughs) that's right i think when we talk about this the struggle with being a good person or you know in discipleship that can be where some of the struggle is too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so as part of our discipleship conversation, we've so the one thing we've just addressed here in this in this quote is moral formation. Church being seen as a nice option for for that as as a, a good thing, a nice thing, whatever, as opposed to um, a a discipleship focus, which is what we are what we want to very intentionally gear ourselves toward. And that's what we are trying to work toward both as a congregation here and just in our own individual lives. And then also keeping at the forefront. And again, this next quote that I'm about ready to read, will will tie back into this, but also keeping the forefront that, that the family, both the family of God and the biological nuclear family are heavily involved in this process. And ultimately their influence we say it in youth ministry again and again and again. This bears out also in other sociological studies. Mom and dad win. Though their influence 100%. wins the day every single time. And so we have to put – it's not us shirking responsibility as pastors, but us looking to say, yes, your student, we are passionate about seeing them formed in the likeness of Christ and becoming a disciple of his and, and, and making disciples who make disciples. But by the way, that is about impossible to do out of a strong family connection and a family atmosphere that is, that is uh, instilling, instilling that and helping that process uh, develop and, and to grow in partnership with the larger uh, faith community. So, um, Here's my next, uh, so this is the next quote. This is a youth ministry in the 21st century, five views. And I'm going to be reading from the uh, section uh, here that, uh, let's just put it this way, uh, youth worker OG, uh, Chap Clark, uh, he, he does one of his views. And His first name is Chap? Chap. I know, right? I, he's, what a guy. Um, so, so. Champ has been a big advocate for what he refers to as adoptive youth ministry. And they, because in trying to talk about different systems of youth ministry or different definitions, um, he found, and this was actually out of a conversation with his students, 
Um, they're trying to find like a biblical framework and a biblical kind of a biblical metaphor for for youth ministry, and they found that like adoption, that the theme of adoption gets used a lot, uh, you know, a lot in the scriptures, and so that's kind of been how he's talked about it. So, um, so he says this. So this is a big thing about about youth ministry in particular, but it, it ties in again with tied in with the family, tied in with the discipleship process. Uh, he says the goal of youth ministry must shift away from segmenting young people off from everyone else to offering them a mutual, mm-hmm. empowering, engaging, and supportive new family. We must abandon the notion that lifelong faith can be solidified by the time one is in high school and that uh, external expressions of faith, especially emotional, i.e. passionate, outbursts, and measurable outcomes, do not predict the lifelong story. And we must propose to collectively re-engage and embrace our young as members of our own family. We must rethink youth ministry so as to literally adopt them into the family of the church. Honor their gifts and calling, yes, Celebrate practices and acts of justice and mercy and invest in others' lives and souls for the sake of the kingdom, certainly. But underneath and all around these external, uh, these external effects and markers, we must commit to making sure every young person knows that they matter, not only to God, but to a large and diverse family, because God and his church declare it so. To put it more clearly... The goal of youth ministry as adoption is for every child, every adolescent, and every young adult to be so embraced by the community of faith that they know they always have a home, a people, and a place where they can discover who they are and how they are able to contribute. In short, youth ministry is adopting young people into the family of God. Dustin, what say you? Agree. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's really good. Uh, yeah, and I can't recall the exact wording of this, how it, it got started, but I I, I really appreciate that um, that viewpoint, kind of that that analogy, that comparison. It, it it just I think it ties it together so well because it does seem, for whatever reason, that youth ministry is when you talk about how some ministries in and church can feel siloed off. It it just does seem like that is the youth ministry is the one that kind of gets siloed off, whether it's intentional or not. That's just how it, because it for whether it's you know some of the the older people looking at at it like, well, there's just there's nothing to relate to. It is just a different world, and sure it is. I mean, I get it, but to be able to embrace, adopt, to be a part of of the bigger church as a whole for student ministry is such a win for everyone. And I, I've had the privilege of being a part of some ministries that that have taken steps in that direction and I've seen the benefits. So for example, uh, at one, there, there was no longer Sunday morning programming for high school students. High school students were encouraged to go with their families to, uh, to the worship service. And there was a little bit of pushback at first, but after a while, I think there was an appreciation for being able to just sit in service with their family, not have a separate youth service for them or, you know, a Sunday school class or something like that. And, and there's benefits to both. Sure. But I just being able to see some of those kind of barriers broken down and people kind of getting an inside look to what it's all about and why 
it's so important. And because, yeah, when it's not done, you see, I mean, it's almost like teenagers or students go to that next step and they don't know, they don't have a great relationship with the church. So why, why would they want to make that a part of their, of their life moving forward if their last memory wasn't a good one or they didn't have really any tie other than to showing up at a, at a youth thing? And if they didn't feel like they were connecting in that with anyone, then it can be easy to see why they didn't moving forward. Yeah. I, I just wonder, and we, and we're trying to have more conversations about this. Like, are there some are there some things within our youth ministry that need that need to die that need to go away so that we can re re release young people into the broader context and broader service of of the church? Because if I'm honest, even within our even within our current system, like when it comes to like our hospitality team here, mm-hmm. you know, um, there is not really a way currently for a 15-year-old kid to be standing next. And the fact of the matter is is that we know this experience statistically would be immensely helpful, but there is not a way for a 15-year-old kid to stand next to a Mm -hmm. 50-year-old greeter Mm -hmm. in our foyer right now and for the two of them to... On equal footing, but you know, there, there, uh, there's a probably a mentor. You know, there's a, a mentoring relationship going on there to a, to an extent. But like, as co laborers together to to serve the church in that in that way, even in an internal kind of that's an internal example. And and I just and I think to myself like, that's that is a potential missed opportunity because of the because of uh because of the nature of our our siloing that we mm-hmm. we do because of kind of traditional program setups. I think there's a side of it too that like once kids get outside of student ministry if you've not developed a an environment that, that has that connectivity you know we we see the numbers of kids that are leaving church after graduation even after high school after college like they just aren't coming back and a big part of it is because they don't feel like they have a place past youth group because they haven't had those connections and so like I'm I would push into like there's there's a necessity yes to like encourage students to go be with their parents to go be with the adults but the other thing is like I hear a lot of times in youth ministry and I think we've all heard it of people who say things like oh like bless you like I couldn't do student ministry I couldn't be with middle schoolers I couldn't do with high schoolers I just don't connect with them and I, it's kind of like it it like it, it's meant as like a compliment of like you're doing a special job that like not everybody can do and ensure. Yeah, I completely understand that. But on the other hand, it's like, well, have you, have you tried, have you tried building that relationship with them? Like if we're not taking the effort to reach out to these kids and say, Hey, I want you to know that you belong here. Then why should they come back? Why should they be a part of something after, after high school, after college, when maybe they haven't had those adults that are willing to like step into the uncomfortable zone to be the more mature the more mature person and say like I see the value in you and I want you to like walk out of this situation knowing that like we want you to be a part of this community past high school. Yeah, I I think there's there's a gap, right, between like our adults and maybe our our student ministry. There's there's this gap of of connection, there's this gap of 
relationally. And so I don't know if the way to look at it is, okay, what do we need to do in student ministry to, to fix that? I think it is bigger church. What do we need to do to, to close the gap? And I think just yeah. basic thing. I mean, e- easy thing. There's easy wins. Like we've got a team that, I mean, you were just talking about the, the greets on Sunday morning, hands out coffee. I mean, you could easily tag a couple of middle school, high school kids with a couple of adult leaders. I'm like, man, how cool would that be? You walk in and you're, you're getting greeted by some students. It, it'd be different. And it would just be, it'd be like, well, that was, that was different. But like yeah. that, you start giving them some of those roles and they start seeing their gift, their giftings at an earlier age or mission trips. You know, there's more like family driven service mission trips where families and you're getting to experience some, some of that versus having to wait until you're a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't, I mean, doesn't it feel, even though we don't even intend it to be so it, it can feel for a young person that they don't get to be a real Christian until they, until they get out of high school. 100%. Right. Right. Like they don't, they don't get to, to play in the big sandbox and get their hands dirty in some things. And, you know, one of the other books that, uh, that I've got here, and I'm not even going to read a direct quote from it, but one of the principles it has, I think is helpful to this dis- discussion. Um, w- more and a few other publications have come out of this series, but the one I'm referring, this book I'm referring to is uh, entitled Growing Young, Six Essential Strategies to Help uh, Young People Discover and Love Your Church, uh, brought to us by the good uh, folks over at Fuller, uh, Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin, uh, which again, uh, people that are like, they don't know me, but I've gotten to know them and they've just been deeply helpful in a lot of the youth work that I've done. Um, especially in transitioning young adults into the life of the broader church. But, you know, one thing that they say is kind of this image that they give is to give, um, they call it keychain leadership, but is to like, if you, if you look at kind of the metaphor of like, what are, what are all the keys on your keychain? And those are different areas of ministry, you know, that unlock doors to different areas of service or whatever, what keys are you giving? Are you able to give away mm-hmm. to to look at that, mm-hmm. and then to give young people? Um, I think this is the language they use. Uh, I think it's the term is load bearing responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, because kid, because young people will pick up if you're like giving them like the, the baby like the baby Christian tasks or like mm-hmm. the the things yeah. where if they didn't show up or if they fail at it, it's not like oh, it's like no one will notice, right? Um, now that's risky. It, it's super risky, but. But I think meaningful in terms of um, you get to be a disciple of Jesus and growing in your discipleship um, at, at your adolescent stage and then and then on. It's not like you wait twenty years and then one day you just like you hit go. So that I think that's the uh, that's the thing that I'm. I think all of us here, we're trying. I know in our setting, are trying to be more and more conscious about. It. It's like the the handoff and it, the handoff feels I think super awkward between youth ministry and our young adult ministry mm-hmm. because it's like you're literally going from zero to 60 in so many of the areas in terms of like engaging the larger faith community and, and things like that. And I, I really wish it were less, uh, yeah, less of a whiplash, I guess. Yeah. You said, you said the word, you said the word risky and I, you know, I, I, for sure. I understand that. I, but I, it's almost like we have to weigh, what's more risky, you yep. know, and like, yep. what's, uh, yeah. what's the bigger risk of giving kids, students opportunities to succeed or fail at a young age or to see the discipleship, the maturing process never take hold because there's never really opportunities to grow and mature in their faith at a younger age. And 
I get that every person's different and it's going to be a, a different process for everybody. But I know like for me, I was given some, uh, some pretty significant opportunities younger and, you know, as a freshman, sophomore in high school. And I know that it was, it is because of those that I had a great interest in pursuing ministry as a career. Now I'm not saying that if that's going to be the case for everybody, but I guess we never know. And it's like, there could be a, yeah, like you just said that there's just this disconnect or this passive, eh, whatever, you know, it wasn't for me. And like after high school, it's like, I don't even really know how to get plugged back in. I don't really have that desire. So I get the risk, but is the, is the danger of of not being involved at all greater than the risk? That's so good. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good question, and we forget just in terms of a first century example, New Testament example. I mean, culturally, I think it's pretty apparent, and this is a this is a discussion that New Testament scholars have. I think it's pretty apparent that even that G- Jesus selected very he selected young people to to follow him. We do, we don't think about it's like. Jesus is more like a rabbi youth pastor than we than we give him credit for. So I have every reason to believe that the disciples were were teenagers by and large. More than likely, Peter being the eldest of them, maybe he's he's nineteen twenty uh, years old. He has a wife, right? Or at least had or had, yeah. And and he's the only. By the way, this is just a little Bible nerdy. Uh, he's the only one that there's a discussion with about paying temple tax to if you if you go in there because you started paying temple tax at age 18 so it's a it's an interesting discussion but I, I think it's there's an idea there of young men were mentored and there were and there was usually an, an, an eldest one of them that was sort of leading leading them leading down who was also an apprentice Um and that was the formula that Jesus used to start to start a discipleship movement movement that changed the world. And I'll just be honest with you: I don't think if it, it, to parents that are looking. And by the way, I, I would argue you should look at your your kid this way, and you should think about your kid this way. But I don't think we would look at our children today and go, "Now there's a group of people that if Jesus just spent three years with would change the world." Right, and yet I think for those of us in youth ministry, like I've seen some kids do some pretty cool things, and I think they've got a lot of potential there that's just not tapped into yeah. for any number. Well, for some of the reasons that well, we just mentioned, and Jesus took some of the problem children too. <laughs> yeah, like he took yeah. the tax collectors and the everyone. You know, the guy who literally he walked for three years with someone who would end up taking his, essentially selling him out and taking his life, and like sometimes like. The risk of of going after youth ministry, of doing ministry for our children, sometimes they are going to hurt us. Sometimes it, it's it might come across that like we've tried the hardest that we can, and yet you know they decide to turn away from us. And yet that's if we're not doing our due diligence, the risk like that we end up taking is that maybe that they do walk away, um, but maybe they do end up following after the Lord. Yeah. I was sorry. I was just going to say. I think. I mean, something Tyler just said kind of struck me a little bit with like the maturity process. I think there. I think we look at it. Well, you can't be a mature Christian until you've you're seasoned, until you've had enough experience. And there, there's a lot of maturing that students need to go through. Sure, but some of my man, some of the greatest memories I have are seeing when students actually do get it, when faith becomes real to them. And I would almost argue that. I mean. 
yeah, sure. There's a lot of maturing and growing that needs to take place, but there is almost so much maturity in their immaturity. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I think there's so much we can learn from a student's faith because it's like, there's no barriers to it. There's such an imagination. There's no, like, there's no, well, we can't do this with our faith. It's, mm-hmm. and that is, that is one of the most rewarding things about being in youth ministry. In any situation, well, if I'm not up on stage teaching, like if I'm in a group of kids and it comes time to pray, like I only pray maybe a quarter of the time at best mm-hmm. because those are, that's just one of those things that I think kids It think, shows, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thanks. Oh, uh, bazinga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like you, you listen to a sixth grade boy, at, you know, when they're first introduced to this idea that they can pray in front of the whole oh, group, right. yeah. the transformation that they go through, through that just even a year of, you might call on them at the end of the year and you hear their prayer life because they have grown in that maturity of being able to like go to God in prayer in a way that like, had they not been exposed to that opportunity to lead a group in prayer, mm-hmm. like they may have never experienced that and yeah. just like the growth that you can see out of what seems like little things like that to just yep. hand over responsibility is, is amazing. It's phenomenal. That's, that's why we've got one of the greatest, I mean, any, any, any person working with young people that right there is why we've got one of the greatest jobs. Because when you see that, there's just absolutely, I think we all agree. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than to see that, that kind of growth and transformation. So yeah, I guess just to, to recap here, I mean, the things that we've, we've hit on and discussions we've had number one, um, we do need to address the uh, the moral formation and morality conversation around youth ministry and what what it is that we're actually doing. It's it, it's business that's far more messy than just making making nice good people. It is indeed uh, walking hand in hand together to build, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so that's that's the one thing. Uh, the other thing being um, that this is a a community-wide event. Um, this absolutely involves, first and foremost, uh, the families of which, from where our young people are coming from, but then also the larger family of God coming around them and doing it together. Which, and I, I know I have already experienced this myself personally, but I know it will. It's it's so true for all of us. It will require us as parents, as the biological parents, to get real honest with other people about where we need help and support. Uh, because it does, you know, the saying goes, it does take a village, but that is for sure the case. And so I know so many times we feel like a, it's a very raw area in our life when we have to start talking about, mm-hmm. like, I need help with my, you know, I need help with my kids, my kids' faith formation. It's like, yeah. we all we all do. Join I, the club. I don't have kids. And uh, I say that kind of jokingly of, like, yeah, I don't have to worry about my kids. That's right. <laughs> right. Faith development yet. Right. But, like. Also, like, I, I hear sometimes, too, like, parents that are, like, they kind of look at that situation. They're kind of like, oh, well, you don't entirely understand. And true, like, I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't walked in those shoes. But, like, my whole drive, and I think Dustin and you, Joel, would actually agree with this. Like, our drive isn't to teach you how to parent. Right. It's that we love your kids. Right. And we love you. And we want to be able to partner with you in a way that says, like we value your kids' relationship with Jesus just yep. as much as you do. Yeah, and we for sure would want you as a parent to see the value just as much in their spiritual formation and discipleship as any other goal for your child. I mean, 100%. like graduation. Like what do you do to see your kid graduate? You will help them with 
homework, make sure they do the extra credit. You'll help them, you know, take individualized class, whatever you have to do to see, to get them to graduate, to get them to college, to get them to have a good job so that they can have our dedication to our kids' spirituality and their development. And there should be just at, even more because <laughs> then, than that, I, I would say. But. Yeah, that's, that's so good. So, yep. I, at a very practical level, these are these are discussions that we we have here as a faith community, and it's the things that we're talking about um, that are helping influence and inform uh, our decisions in ministry moving forward. And some of the some of the adjustments and changes, like uh, that, we want to make helping, for lack of a better term, eliminate unnecessary uh, barriers to discipleship and growth, and eliminate unnecessary barriers uh, between. Um, between families and and kind of the people leading uh, church ministries, we we really want to team uh, together in a very real way. And so, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for the conversation today. You, uh, as always, have both challenged me and uh, affirmed uh, that uh, when we hired you, we made the right decision. So, thank you for that. Uh, thank you, sir. <laughs> no one is getting fired. Uh, hey guys, thanks Today. for yet. <laughs> yet. Oh boy. You guys are almost, uh, you guys are very, very close to the end of the, uh, the school year. And let's just, let's cross that. Let's cross that finish line. Shall we? Great. Amen. Amen. <laughs> no one, no one's going to get hurt at youth group tonight. Okay. Well, hey, uh, well, mm-hmm. okay. Hey guys, uh, thanks as always for uh, joining us for another episode. Uh, look forward to joining you next week as we continue on in our conversation. And until next time, we wish you grace and peace. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening. Great. You ever kissed a Lutheran? <laughs> I don't even know where to go whole, from there. They still That's do the holy other, kiss other po- thing, don't they? A whole other podcast. At their service? Oh, I thought you were mentioning like romantically. No. <laughs> Who kisses people romantically? <laughs> but have you ever kissed? That's a great question. Have you ever kissed a Lutheran? Or ha- more importantly, have they ever kissed you? There you go. That's what I want to know. Um.